Welcome to this EG UK Cities podcast. I'm Julia Cahill and in this edition I'm going to be asking our panel of experts about how the digital transformation is shaping the life sciences industry in Oxford. We'll look at how the real estate sector is striving to keep pace with the breathtaking advances accelerated by the digital transformation, how Oxford compares to other cities, the space being delivered here in the near and longer term and some of the challenges including how to keep occupiers here in the UK once they have scaled up and are bought by US companies, through to how to engage and bring local communities on board with the development of life sciences space. I'm joined by three experts ready to share their knowledge and expertise. Artem Korolev is Chief Executive and Founder of Mission Street, one of the UK's leading specialist investors and developers in science and innovation real estate, with a committed development pipeline in excess of a million square feet in Cambridge, Oxford and Bristol. Charles Routon-Lee is Savile's Head of Commercial Agency based in Oxford Botley, who specialises in the South East office and industrial markets. And Anna Strongman, is Chief Executive of Oxford University Development, a joint venture between Oxford University and Legal and General set up to build innovation districts and subsidised accommodation for graduate students and the university workforce. So I thought it would be useful to start with just exploring what we really mean by digital transformation in the life sciences context. Um, and I wondered if Anna uh, and Artem, if you'd um, kick us off with that so that we can then really explore why um, it's so important that the built environment plays um, its role in, in that. Um, so Anna, would you mind just sort of in a, in a nutshell, I know we don't have huge, huge amount of time, but um, just give us your sort of take on why, you know, the digital transformation is so important to life sciences. Um, thank you very much. That is obviously a very, uh, it's a very broad question um, with many um, really interesting angles. And I, I think um, for uh, researchers and for businesses um, in the life science sector, um, digital transformation is obviously um, influencing and affecting how people um, look at data and how people analyze data uh, and the speed of um, analytics of data. And you might have seen the uh, press this week about um, the AI spin-off from DeepMind who are very focused uh, on um, using that technology to analyze um, and support um, the life sciences um, industry. I think uh, digital transformation um, is also influencing how people physically conduct um, experiments um, and the evolution of um, robotics um, in laboratories. I, I, I actually think, um, for me, one of the interesting areas, uh, and that's, this does intersect with real estate, is actually the evolution of businesses and um, areas of academic research which are focused actually on instrumentation and um, areas like quantum sense sensing um, is an, an example of that um, and it, it's become an area of, of, of research um, and technological evolution in itself and we um, we really need to think about um, those um, 
those leaders as tenants in themselves and how do we create the environment that they can actually develop that uh, those areas of instrumentation um so i, I think um for me it's yes it, it is a big focus on data um there's a big focus on how people do experimentation and then there's a focus on um the evolution of the instrumentation um itself and how that connects into um digital infrastructure from a real estate perspective it's, it's obviously critical that we consider how to support um, all of those elements everything from sort of power networks through to the types of facilities uh, that we're creating so i hope that gives a flavor um, of of how we're thinking about it and how it influences our approach to development yeah, that does. That gives a that gives us a great a great starting point. Um, Artem, would you um, come in there and just give us your your take? Are you um, uh, are you um, looking at similar similar things to Anna there in terms of of the transformation that's sort of uh, impacting the occupiers that that you're then sort of working with? Yeah, I agree. I agree fully with what Anna said. I think. Um, the other interesting thing is there is more of a convergence generally between science and tech. Yeah, so there right. is increasing collaboration between, you know, businesses that are doing work in wet labs, for example, and 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 the tech sector. There's there's interesting um, research uh, uh, that YouGov were involved in where they were sort of saying two thirds of life sciences companies are collaborating with tech companies or planning to over the next five years. So I I think that's going to be a big and interesting um, theme. Um, and the other thing we've actually observed more on an operational basis for um, sciences businesses um, is, is obviously a lot of the laboratory work can't really be done in a hybrid format. Um, but um, the office work can be if it's not direct write up related to the work that's being done in the labs. So the, the the split between lab space and office space has shifted in what we've observed um, over the COVID period where buildings are now getting with a higher lab content than what we were observing um, companies were requiring earlier because they're putting in labs at higher density in the buildings in their efficient use of space. And actually some of the back office functions are, are being done remotely. So. Um, that's led to a portion of lab space being higher than what it was. That requires buildings to have very good connectivity, very good resilience um, in terms of both power, in terms of data, um, you know, and there are interesting, um, you know, there, there are accreditations like Wirescore, for example, which are important in um, a lot of locations to demonstrate, but it's certainly a very big piece of due diligence discussions with prospective occupiers. Um, so I think it's it's quite critical, and again, occupier surveys rank it quite high up um, in there. Yeah, that's really interesting, and and that's you've seen that shift in really in a very short space of time, then sort of accelerating through uh, the pandemic. Um, that, yeah, sorry, that yes, shift towards um, a higher density of lab lab space versus office. Yeah, I mean, I, th I, th I think I think so, right? I mean, it was it was um, almost a discussion of relatively equal amounts of office and lab, sometimes even more office uh, from what we were observing historically, whereas now you're sort of designing to at least flexibility for 60% lab within within the space. 
Um, and again, we were delivering a building through the COVID period where there were occupiers that were going for very, very high density office space. Um, you know, that high density, I mean, they made WeWork look quite roomy and spacious in the approach because they were of the view that they could sort of get in a lot of their um, office type functions at a high density. And then also some of the people from the lab would work in the office some of the time. And it was extremely tight um and i think that again has shifted and we were we were amending some of that through construction because i think people were seeing the direction of travel yeah that's really interesting and i wondered on your collaboration point does that um is, is that sort of um presumably that has a huge impact on on sort of um identifying suitable sites as well and looking at sort of proximity um, between different different sort of key um, parties, particularly sort of thinking about universities and hospitals um, uh, well, as, as well as the well, and sector. also where where there is critical mass of the tech sector and where there was there is critical mass of the sciences sector. Again, trying to build up more mixed clusters rather than monocultures, where you only have one type of of R and D activity is, is something we're really focused on as a business. So. Yeah. Um, Great, Charles. Would you like to come in there? I mean, if you, if you presumably you've been seeing this um, in 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 terms of how your clients are are, are, are looking for your support. Um, so, so how have, what's your take on this on on the digital transformation and and how how quickly it's really been changing what they need? Yeah, that, it, it's 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 a very interesting subject, in fact, because you know the, the market is moving so quickly and the change in specifications that companies are looking for is is constantly changing we get to see a lot of uh, laboratory buildings and you know one has to remember that in oxford science has only re really hit the market over the last six years so a lot of the buildings which are used for laboratories and uh, tech uses are converted office buildings so people are having to sort of make do with what they've got i think the the, 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 the interesting thing that we are seeing now is artificial intelligence, machine learning is playing a big part in these science companies. And, you know, we as, as laymen and surveyors categorize companies as, as science and life science, but actually they see themselves as tech companies. And what we have seen in a number of situations is their wet laboratories, their CAT2 labs are being converted into data rooms and they're full of computers producing multiple terabytes of data. And you know, Anna's point and Artem's point about, uh, about technology and the, the, the ever-growing importance of that within the science and tech sector is, is really important. I think also, you know, we will see more traditional tech companies coming into in, into the science sector and we're seeing enormous investment from those companies uh, into science generally or in, in the UK and Oxford but also around the globe. Can you could you expand on that with 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 some examples so the on the investment side? Yeah um, we, we're seeing uh, Apple, Meta, uh, Google, all, all sorts of large companies now investing very heavily into med tech, 
in, into science uh, as, as, as a way of sort of promoting business, but also expanding uh, globally. And I think you can see that, can't you, Charles, in terms of co-location. So, you know, in Boston, you've got Google in Kendall Square. Um, if you go to Raleigh, Durham, you've got uh, um, Meta moving into Durham alongside other tech companies. You can see that in Cambridge around CB1, where Microsoft and um, other tech companies are moving into Cambridge. So it's a kind of, it's a, it's, it's a real thing, if you sort of mean. It's not just you know these companies are making the move. Um, one of the challenges we have in Oxford is we don't we we, we don't really have the space to cater for that. Um, so I think it's very interesting for the evolution of Oxford how to um, create the variety of space in a very constrained land market um, to to cater for the for the tech alongside um, the academics alongside the SMEs etc. Absolutely right. I, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I, I think. Sorry, Charles, go on. Sorry, I think that's absolutely right. I, we we don't have those big occupiers in Oxford at the moment. For sure, they're going to come to the city. Where will they come to? I think that will become very clear over the next probably two or three years. What we will see is them coming in via mergers and acquisitions of existing opera existing companies within the market rather than just coming in cold, I think, and, and starting afresh. How, how does that play into to, to your work in Oxford, Anna, with with um, with with legal in general, you know, and, and, and the university? You know, how 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 do you um, uh, prepare for sort of like, quite a lot of unknowns, really? How do you sort of leave the door open for, in terms of the space that's going to be needed and the the the, the, the nature of those occupiers? And, and uh, also, you know, obviously, you're alluding to this, you know, this shortage of sites and, and space. Of, uh, how, how are you sort of um, coping and planning for that? Yeah, I think it's a really question, good question. And we're in, a, we're in a very privileged position that we've got significant, we're working on significant sites in Oxford. So we're working on a uh, site which is 400 acres to the north of uh, Oxford at Begbrook and also a site close to the city centre and some holdings at Osney Mead. And, but these, these are long term because we, we are right at the start of the master planning and the planning process. And we will be accommodating academics, um, also kind of spin out institutes from the university. The university are very committed to supporting the wider commercial ecosystem because they understand it's important that their researchers can see opportunities to commercialise what they're doing and that supports them and their global position as a leading university. But you know, we're, we're looking at sites which will take 10 years to build out, they're really of significant scale and you know, how do you um, how do you create an environment which which is flexible enough to respond um, to the sort of physical requirements of these occupiers, um, to the kind of co-location requirements of, of the occupiers, and also the digital um, um, and wider infrastructure of such as power of, of these uh, of the potential occupiers. Um, and how do you weave that all together in a, in a narrative which you can articulate to local communities um, and, uh, and and make a persuasive case? Because it's really important that those communities are taken on that journey. 
Um, I think if you've got a sort of single science occupier, such as the sort of Geo campus um, in Cambridge, you, it's easier to weave a story. Um, but but I think the way that things are going is, as, as Charles has said, it's, it's actually sort of multidisciplinary, multi-research approach, which can which can really enable the ecosystem to thrive. So I I, I think it's a really you know, really interesting challenge, just enormous opportunity. We absolutely have to get on on with it because mm-hmm. if people can't find space in Oxford, they're not going to other places in the UK, they're going to Boston, for example. So it's really imperative that we we realise the potential of, of the city and of the university and of the of the sector. Um, we we just have to be very fleet of foot and nimble um, about um, about how we do that. Mm. Yeah, and and so yeah, the planning process and and community engagement is obviously one of yeah, many really challenges important. within that. Then. Yeah, yeah. I, I would just add one one area that I think is there's a lot of discussion um, about sort of how do you create the soft infrastructure alongside the hard infrastructure. So how, how do you create an environment where you know people bump into each other in the pubs and, and sort of collaborate? How, how do you create that sort of more informal um, networking? Um, I do think there's a degree of um, organisation around that through sort of uh, business support, networking, etc. But I, I, I don't know the answer to this, but I wonder what the role of sort of digital platforms is in that. I'm sure there is a role. Um, the whole prop sector is trying to get to grips with what with what prop tech means. But I, I'm convinced that that uh, alongside sort of physical bumping into each other, I think there's a real role um, for digital platforms to support collaboration and I I also think in some ways it it does suit this this evolution of sort of hybrid working as Artem was talking about and and also the nature of some scientists who sometimes work on sociable hours or um, you know they're working on 24-hour experiments Um, so I'm really interested in that element of digital as well and how how the platforms evolve to support collaboration and and work between scientists uh, and tech employees and tech leaders, etc. And mm. um, Artem, it'd be great to, to bring you in on that. And I'm particularly conscious that you're talking to us from Boston, so you you could give us some different perspectives on on that, how that's working there, and how you how you see that evolving in the UK as well. Okay, well, I guess. Um... In, in terms of the first point, uh, which is what Anna was talking about and sort of building up that collaboration and building up the, the, the critical mass of some of these bigger um, international businesses, that's something we're very focused on actually with our investments in, in Oxford um, because our ownerships are essentially we're redeveloping the, the, the Botley Road retail park, um, which is a low density low rise retail park um you know it takes me about nine minutes and 12 seconds leisurely walk to the railway station and the the idea there is because also it is near-term development so we're on site with the first phase of it but actually to start building up more of this type of cluster in a more urban you know connected um location um and we're sort of curating it. So the first building we have on site, Inventor, um, you know, is a mix of, of, of um, wet lab and re- laboratory use. And the interest we're getting on that is, you know, there, there, there is wet lab demand, but there is demand from um, quantum. There is demand from that type of uh, occupier. 
um, more on the tech side as well. And of course, some of them have a presence in the city center and the next phase will then allow much bigger, more corporate space when that um, gets to site. And the idea is to create this quite interesting mixed cluster where you have life sciences, where you have green tech, where you have um, various types of technology and, and co-locating it in that sort of location. And I think I would echo what um, I think it was Charlie was saying about um, bringing these bigger international occupiers or scaling Oxford occupiers um, within the city, because I think some of the some of the issues are is that there's fantastic academic strength in the universities. There is definitely um, increasing spin out activity coming out of the university. Um, and, you know, with OSC, that's been a step change in the funding of these businesses. I think we need more sources of capital active in Oxford to fund the growth of these businesses. So there's real strength in creating these companies. I think the question is either scaling them such that they don't trade out for IP very, very early, um, because, you know, what ends up happening is they end up um, getting to scale, getting bought often by a US investor. And then the question is, do they remain in Oxford or do they operate for a couple of years and then get folded and integrated into into the mothership, basically, which is a question on a, on, on a few of these mergers. So how does that get kept? Part of that is lack of that long-term capital, right? There isn't really an IPO market for these businesses in the, in, in the UK. Um, and so how does that get solved or how does US investment um, work in the other direction and in, in, in a way that keeps the companies in the UK, which I'll, I'll sort of, I'll come to some observations on that here in a second. So I think that's, that's an interesting um, dynamic and conversely actually bringing bigger companies to Oxford. Cambridge, as mentioned, is, is, you know, a bit more mature, really, as a, as a science a real estate market and has, has a bit more of that. And I think part of it is creating the space. There aren't that many options if you are a big tech company and you want to locate in the Oxford area currently. And that's something we're working very hard to hopefully address, because, again, if you're an international firm, you, you know, you're going to be coming in from to central Oxford, you're going to be coming into the railway station and you're going to want to be linked into more of that sort of district. And I think between what um, is going to happen around the retail park with our ownerships and others, what will happen on Ozni Mead um, when that gets redeveloped, what will happen on, um, uh, you know, the various, the Oxpen sites and that side of things. I think the West End will really, in my view, facilitate um, that shift. Um, I think in terms of that, it's an interesting dynamic in the US now, because obviously the, the, the IPO market as companies scale up is is very difficult um, right now. It's a very different world. Um, and of course, there are trade sales, but actually, you know, um, through the through the last financial crisis, there were a lot of collaborations being done by Big Pharma, for example, teaming up with um, emerging biotechs where they weren't just buying them out um, and, and there wasn't an active IPO market, but research was moving forward. So I think mm -hmm. sort of facilitating research collaborations between UK companies and US companies is one way of sort of keeping keeping the UK R&D activity um, in, in, in the UK. Um, but I think just having the capital and having the density of different types of businesses in relatively tight locations at enormous scale, which, you know, we can't just copy paste what happens in Boston because Boston is is is, is just enormous. And 
it's much beyond Kendall Square and Cambridge now. There are there are you know clusters popping up in Seaport. There are there um there there are a whole series of different R and D locations around Boston, and indeed there are office buildings in in in, in more downtown financial areas that have uh, are bringing forward lab content, um which is a which is a very different situation than the one we have in the UK. And just that that point you made about keeping um companies here in the UK um, and facilitating that research collaboration with with between the UK and the US so the, the real key to that you, you're saying is is the funding side of things once these, well, uh, once these um, sort of startups and spin-outs get to to scale here in the UK it's I think I mean there are a number of so I mean the collaboration bit is more in terms of um, greater linkages between um, US companies, more corporate sort of larger companies and UK companies and facilitating research collaborations and some of that happens organically but some of it is a function of you know things that you know the government can facilitate or things that can be um, more encouraged in terms of um, you know, marketing the UK research base and encouraging those collaborations, but a lot of it will happen, I think, organically if the mm -hmm. research is high quality. M my point on the funding piece was more that there's a, there's becoming a really good track record of of companies spinning out and doing the first part of their journey, um, them continuing to grow um, uh, in in a UK context is 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 a key point, and I think there are different elements. One is funding. Um, as yeah. you mentioned, Julia, on, on, on those later stages. The other is physical real estate and yeah. creating space for them to grow. Uh, and there's a severe undersupply of that in, in, in Oxford, but also in other parts of the UK. And it's not only the quantity, it's also the quality of these buildings, which links mm -hmm. to the tech point. A lot of these buildings and sort of 1970s, 1980s, um, pretty grim science park buildings, um, and the question is creating things of very, very high quality, which are which are built for purpose and have the flexibility for the development of these businesses heading into the future as they evolve. Mm. Um, uh, obviously, talent is the other the other point, and um, retaining, maintaining talent, and also, um, you know, there's fantastic scientists obviously coming out of the universities, but management teams that have gone and built businesses on you know multiple uh, occasions there's a lot more of that here uh, because it's just a much bigger deeper market um, and and how that is supported so i think it's it's a complex point i don't think there's one particular solution for it but all of the elements of the ecosystem need to be working together to try and facilitate this mm -hmm. charles with um uh, within that obviously our terms um, highlighted that that the physical real estate is is one of those one of those key strands. So what what um, what's your sort of view on 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 where we are with that in terms of you know um, are there enough um, real estate sort of players and investors who really sort of understand the sector um, here and are there enough to 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 support its growth really continued growth. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very good point. And, you know, one comparing the market with Boston is, you know, is, is in itself an interesting idea. Because in Boston at the moment, there is 10 million square foot of science and tech development taking place. 
And to put that into perspective for Oxford, that is the size of the extended commercial existing stock in our marketplace. So they're building more than we have existing. So, you know, the, the, the demand is, is enormous. The, the demand in Oxford is, is enormous as well. And again, going back to when this science and tech hit our marketplace, we may see one requirement a year for 25 to 30,000 square feet. Now, there are seven requirements in the market for between 80 and 150,000 square feet. So the type of demand, not only the type of building, but the size of demand has grown exponentially and it will continue to grow over, over years to come. I think the, the, the good thing is though that a lot of these larger requirements are not looking for occupation tomorrow. The smaller requirements are, but the larger requirements, the larger companies are starting to plan their new headquarters, their, their new building for two, three, four years time which is when we'll see quite a lot more stock coming to the market because at the moment good supply is very, very limited indeed. And we're seeing probably two to two and a half million square foot of demand today. What we will see though in sort of 25, 26, 27, more supply coming to the market. There's still a lot of land which has been bought recently. There are investments that have been bought recently for redevelopment and we'll see the planning process starting to go through, uh, or we'll see a number of these sites starting to go through the planning process fairly soon. Um, so we could see more supply coming to the market in sort of 25, 26, 27. And our, our indicators at the moment are showing that we could see up to about 3 million square foot of space, which which sounds like a big number. That sounds like a frightening number, but actually... I think there'll be more demand than that for the accommodation as it comes on stream. And, and, and what we'll definitely see is more pre-let activity in that market. I think, you know, where will that go? Oxford City Centre is, 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 is a really key location. A lot of people want to be as close to the railway station as possible. And, and we're going to see work start on Oxford City's new central railway station start in, in, in the new year. So that will be a great facility. There will probably be much congestion between now and its completion, but it's, but it, but it's a good, good place to be. I think we'll see a lot of development take place in, in outer locations around the Ring Road, uh, around Begbrook. We may see other areas to the north in Bicester sort of coming in for for certain types of, of science and research and development. And to the south, Milton Park and Harwell will continue to be very popular and they have good good land banks to, to, to uh, bring space forward. I think, you know, the exciting things is what, what's going to help to supplement the demand for uh, central Oxford, the city centre. It, it's, you know, it's a medieval city. It, it's quite difficult. There is ox pens, as Anna mentioned. Uh, Osney Mead and you know the Botley Road the new urban science district there could be could be very exciting as well uh, to provide space close to the central communication hubs as well. Yes lots of exciting things happening with those those requirements that you you you've mentioned are those um can you sort of expand on those um insofar as they're in the public domain um just to give us a bit of a flavor 
some yeah. of those. I th I th you know, the, the, the demand is, is through the range from 1,000, 2,000 square feet through to 150. And I, I think that the larger end, they, they will continue to grow. Uh, you know, we are fortunate in that we have Oxford Science Enterprise, OSE, which is Oxford's venture capital business and they they create 20 to 25 businesses a year so you know some of them grow at a slow pace some of them grow exponentially as well so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they continue to grow and demand for different types of space grows as well and, and so those are requirements that are really heavily focused on Oxford or is is there a risk that some of them within that figure that you gave us could go elsewhere or are these really sort of tied to it? They, they, they know that they want and need to be in Oxford. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there is always concern that Oxford occupiers will move elsewhere if the space isn't going to be available for them. And, you know, certainly do I think they'll move within the UK? They might do. They might do. I think, you know, international moves are probably probably as likely if not more likely than that and I think you know the the, the US is, is is a very attractive marketplace for a lot of these companies to go to particularly mm. if they're seeking corporate sales as as well into that geographical sector I think that uh, you know now now we have proper vision of a supply chain coming into the market and how buildings will be delivered and where they will be delivered into the market. I think that, you know, there are a number of occupiers w w w who we're acting for at the moment who are looking for short-term space to tide them over to when new buildings and new space comes available in, in, in the next two, three, four years. Yeah, so lot, lots happening. And um, um, Artem, I wondered um, from, from, from your perspective, because obviously you've got... Um, interest in in Cambridge um, as well and Bristol um, and, and elsewhere sort of how can you give us a bit of a sort of comparison um, uh, between sort of Oxford um, and, and those other markets? Yeah so I mean Oxford and Cambridge are probably Bristol is a very different um, different dynamic because Bristol is a is, is a, a, an ecosystem we're very excited about um, but it is a lot less mature. It is a lot, you know, earlier stage. Um, over there, there is a big improvement and big increase in spin-out activity. Um, there's a really big um, tech scene. So I think one of the things we like about Bristol actually is that convergence of different types of research because you're layering on um, an increasing uh, life sciences sector on historic excellence in robotics, aerospace, tech there have been some some tech unicorns that have come out of bristol uh, and generally a really entrepreneurial environment but it is a less advanced market so i think the thesis we're doing there um is is we're sort of creating that grow on space um in in bristol so that so that companies as they come out of incubators as they raise funding um we offer an additional argument to sort of keep them there because currently beyond incubation space there's not really anywhere for these businesses to go. They need to do what occupiers used to need to do in Oxford, which is converting um, sheds or, or, or that sort of thing at their own cost to facilitate their growth or, or leaving. So there's a really sort of interesting um, 
situation there in terms of what Oxford could face if things were not built, because there is very little immediate stock that is that is coming out. Um, yeah. Cambridge is the other end of it. So obviously, um, like Oxford, world-class university, a more mature real estate, science real estate market than Oxford, because um, you know, there, 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 there was this type of, of, of leasing um, and there, there was, you know, it's a much bigger scale as well, right? Historically, Oxford sort of from a real estate standpoint, playing catch up a little bit with um, building out the, 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 the developments there, the, the existing lab stock in Cambridge is significantly higher than, um, uh, than Oxford. Um, uh, so I, and, but I think then the nature of the cities is very different because Cambridge is extremely compact so um that option of the 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 big west end potential that there exists in oxford is a lot more challenging there Mm -hmm. um and so a lot i mean we we've we have secured a very central site against in in line with our business model which is about 10 minute cycle from the railway station so we are trying to do a similar thesis um, but it's a different structure of city, and a lot of historically the the more life sciences research has expanded in Cambridge to the south of Cambridge in the southern cluster, so towards Cambridge Biomedical, um, Baybrim, Granter Park, and 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 those ones. But then this the nature of the city there is changing as well because a lot of development is taking place to the north of the of the city centre around the science park, which was quite heavily tech focused. Um, and um, now there is a lot of lab development also in a very constrained market, um, which which may shift the center of gravity or create a different center of gravity on the other side of the city. So I think um, Cambridge probably is a bit busier occupationally from what we're observing, um, and it's a lot bigger, it's a bit more mature, but I think Oxford is catching up, is my observation. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And uh, do you do you um, feel that you're you're um, looking at the UK? You also competing with Europe as well as the US when you're looking to secure? Um, to oh, be sorry. honest, from what we've seen, it's more the US than Europe mm-hmm. in terms of our direct observations. Um, you know, we're trying to attract, and we are, we are speaking to some European companies. But mainly that is a case where the European companies would like some exposure to the UK from an academic and investment standpoint, um, rather than sort of a choice of do you go to Europe, do you go to the UK? That's been my observation. I don't know what what, uh, Charles has seen um, in his leasing discussions, but... Yes, Charles, does that tally with, with your experience? Yes, it does. I mean, we're, we're seeing much more interest coming from the US at the moment. Um, I don't think, you, you know, mm-hmm. at the moment, European interest is fairly thin, but I think that will change. You know, uh, people who mm-hmm. are coming over to visit Oxford on a sort of fact-finding mission are, are they're definitely coming into the UK. They're, they're spending some time in Oxford. They're probably going to Cambridge as well. They're spending a bit of time in London, and then they're going... Uh, over to mainland Europe as well uh, for for three or four visits before then going back to the US. So I think that you know yeah. we, we we definitely you know Oxford, Cambridge, London, the Golden Triangle definitely has an enormous amount of strength. I think there are some very exciting cities in the UK which are also going to uh, you know rally and 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 have you know very exciting uh, science and tech sector. Uh, evolution 
but I, th- I, th- I think primarily Oxford, Cambridge, and London are are, are the re- main focal points for U.S. investment in the U.K. Mm. I think the other thing about Cambridge is they've built more houses in the city. So we we have been looking at data, um, census data, comparing Oxford and Cambridge. And Oxford um, has got a huge housing affordability issue. And, you know, the, the, the 20, people between 20 and 35, it is declining as a proportion of the population. And, and as a result, under fours and the school roles within the city are, are suffering from that. And, you know, we've talked about sort of um, big tech companies coming in to support the kind of tech life sciences ecosystem, the, the importance of retaining talent. But if people can't, can't live in Oxford or in the surrounding area, can't afford to be here, that, that makes it very challenging for businesses. So I, I think we've, we've talked a lot about the evolution of the um, commercial real estate, but I think it's really important to to address the housing affordability issues in Oxford. And half of our portfolio is about building significant numbers of homes um, in or close to the city. Um, and I, I'm going back to the sort of point about sort of digital infrastructure and Artem's point about hybrid working. The homes which are built have to be um, connected to a really powerful digital infrastructure because if people can't work at home because their Wi-Fi doesn't work or the broadband doesn't work, then 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 again that that's another sort of um, barrier really to the, to this kind of um, uh, thriving ecosystem. I think this, the second point linked to that is you know we've talked about the the enormous demand and the significant pipeline of development coming forward, which I think is fantastic, and I think it's absolutely critical to realising the potential of the city and securing the future of the university. But I, I I think we have to understand the scale of change that means for Oxford, where there hasn't been much development over the last you know ten years, maybe more than that, uh, and you know. Um, I wouldn't say everyone in the city is welcoming change with open arms, um, and, and and I can understand that it's a big change and, and scale of development. So I, I do think it's very important that we, as a sector and and the occupiers we work for, are, are are willing to work with local communities to think about the benefits that the sector brings, the benefits that um, economic growth brings to the city, and we have to start articulating that um, and and demonstrating it. Um, because I think we will find the development is challenging if we don't take um, the the broader community with us. Mm, Yeah, that's a that's a really, really key point. Did has the the experience of the pandemic sort of helped to some extent with that in in that, you know, life sciences is now perhaps um, something that people are who aren't involved in the sector at all are slightly more aware of? I think it's a super interesting point because, um, you know, what, what the real estate industry has a very sort of humble role in, in facilitating the, the development of solutions to major global issues like climate change and, like, uh, and, and you know, major health challenges. Um, and you know, these are being addressed by the companies that we're providing space for. Um, and I think one of the things that we have to be better at is is, is um, communicating that to local people and engendering some sense of pride and ownership in that. And, and my colleague worked on the Genome Campus in Cambridgeshire, and the local village put the um, 
put the DNA helix on their village sign. I mean, they they, they still had a few issues about <laughs> development uh, and a few things there about it, which is fair enough. Um, but you know, that sense of pride is evident, and um, and I, I think that's something that that we we've got to work harder at. And it's it. it it hasn't been done so much in Oxford, is my sense, because that community hasn't really existed. There, there, there is, there, there isn't a, a, a large-scale business community in the city at the moment, and these, the, the scale of development and the location of occupiers in the city will, will actually see that evolve. And I, I think um, it's a real opportunity for for us to to harness that enthusiasm um, and to um, make the case for. Oxford as a global city. And mm. um, Artem, a final word from you. Are you are you optimistic that 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 the real estate sector can play a role in in doing that, in 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 uh, pushing forward um, with with um, raising awareness and and engaging with the community in order to deliver the space that the that the sector really really needs. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm definitely optimistic, but it there is a challenge. Uh, that we need to work through collectively. I think, I, I, I mean, Anna's right on all of the points um, earlier, right? I think the residential piece and the infrastructure around the residential piece um, and transport and all of that is 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 absolutely critical because, um, well, for two reasons or two two main reasons. I think one is um, Oxford becomes a victim of its own success because if there's nowhere for people to live in a way that they can get into work um, and affordability doesn't work, then it's going to be very difficult for these companies to grow. Um, and this is a challenge in a lot of sort of successful innovation ecosystems in the world. Um, that, that That's sort of one side of it. And the other side is that bringing, you know, bringing the local community in on these plans and bringing these forward and it's both local community it's different political factions as well if um all of this growth takes place and it puts pressure on the housing market it puts pressure on schools it it, it makes all of these um negative contributions then that growth will not be supported and there mm -hmm. is an element of the oxford um, environment which is against the growth who have the sort of Oh, not another science park mentality, because they are looking at the problems of it, um, and therefore the issue is growth. And what collectively needs to be unlocked is how do we solve the problems so that sustainable growth or sustainable development of the Oxford ecosystem can actually be be properly supported. Mm. I think the other point is making a better case as as an industry, and it's not just the real estate industry; it's also our underlying customers. Because they are the guys fundamentally making this amazing progress and doing this incredible research um, of demonstrating the benefits to the public in a better way. The sort of classic UK science park historically has been, you know, not next to anything with with a with a barbed wire fence and a guard tower in front of it, um, with people not particularly understanding what is actually going on inside there. I think creating that permeability. Um, you know, we, we call that putting the science on show. So there needs to be a security line somewhere, clearly for health and safety and IP reasons um, with these businesses. But for example, when we put um, big cafes or amenity within the buildings, we make it possible to open that from, from two directions, from the building, but also from outside, which therefore makes it usable 
by the local community and creates a bit of that mingling. Uh, and it's something mm-hmm. I'm seeing actually is pretty normal over here in Boston mm-hmm. where I am, but um, it's, it's moving that along in the UK. And I think secondly, just engaging in things like, you know, supporting science events, reaching out to schools, creating that proper engagement so people actually understand what's going on. In Cambridge, we had some really good success with um, one of our projects through engagement with the local primary school, actually, and they, you know, the kids there um, helped design some of the benches that are going in the in the landscaping outside the, the, the building, which is for them fantastic exposure to what's going to happen in the buildings and the built environment. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, Anna's right, when you have this scale of change and shift from a very, very different uh, city, um, it needs to be managed carefully and sustainably and with proper engagement with the local local community. Otherwise, it will not work. Mm. Charles, just, just to wrap us up with, do you, do you feel that, that Oxford can get there quickly enough? Can it deliver on all of these things? Yes, I think it can. I think, uh, you know, we will see a lot of development over the next three, three to five to six years. Um, I think it can supply the space that is required not only for the Oxford ecosystem to uh, to continue to grow, but to encourage others into our market as well. I think that we definitely, we as you know, property professionals definitely need to integrate with society far, far more. And I think the point that um, Artem was just making there about opening buildings up, you know, I've been in big science, big pharma buildings in the US where they have classrooms for local schools to come in and have their science lessons in their building. I mean, if you're interested in science as a child, what could be more inspiring than to have your lessons in a building of a million square feet absolutely spot on i think opening these facilities up um, to the public not just at weekends but during the day as well so the public can use open park areas can use cafes can use retail units can use uh, pubs as well really important the local community is is a key driver to the success of these business communities Thank you all so much. No, that's been fantastic. You've given us a huge in- insight into a vast and fast moving area. So thank you all very, very much indeed. Thank you.